Welcome to the Therapist on Fire podcast, where I interview leaders in allied healthcare, entrepreneurs, and those on the path to financial independence. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Kimberly Bell. She has really revolutionized vestibular physical therapy and how to start a cash-based practice with a niche industry. I really encourage you to stay all the way to the end because this whole episode is jam-packed with in-depth details that you would have to pay thousands of dollars for. She shares amazing in-depth details on the exact team members that you need and how to start your own cash-based practice. Welcome to the Therapist on Fire podcast. I'm here with Dr. Kimberly Bell, a vestibular physical therapy specialist turned educator, speaker, and creator of the revolutionary method to treat vestibular disorders called the Bell Method. Thank you so much for being here, Kimberly. Hi, Emma. I'm so happy to be here. You have an amazing story, and I want you to share it with all of our listeners. Well, let's see. Your your podcast is called Therapists on Fire. So I guess the first thing I should do is share with you what makes me on fire. Uh, you know, the thing that, that really fired me up to start my business was seeing a population of patients that are completely falling through the cracks in our healthcare system today, where the standard traditional medical model was not serving these patients well. They were suffering uh, for months to years with delays in care, with inadequate evaluations, with lack of proper diagnosing, with um, inappropriate medications, with unnecessary diagnostic tests, and with with you know no nowhere to really turn. And when I first got exposed to this vestibular population, which I'm talking about, I was exposed to them initially as geriatric patients. And because I've been doing home health uh, since 2004, I took a course in vestibular in 2006, and I started assessing all my home health patients for vestibular problems, whether they were complaining of dizziness or not, mostly just to practice my new skills. And what I found was that over 90, 95% of all my geriatric patients that had any history of chronic falls, Um, fall-related injuries, dizziness or vertigo, or complaints of imbalance or fear of falling, all had undiagnosed vestibular problems. And I had never heard anything like that before. I never heard anything like that when I was in school or from any of my colleagues. And so I started getting involved with the San Diego County Fall Prevention Task Force here in San Diego. And I volunteered um, as a leader within the task force to help develop some educational materials that are evidence-based to give out to local residents in San Diego County that are caregivers or older adults themselves on how to prevent falling, and then also local healthcare providers to direct them to resources to prevent falling. And that was sort of my initial, you know, fire that got lit inside of me was seeing, wow, there are so many older people that are falling and the injuries are devastating. And this is the number one reason people are uh, going into nursing homes and being unable to return home or live alone after a hospital stay. So I thought, you know, this was my population to advocate for. And during that time, also, I was a caregiver intermittently for my grandparents, who my grandma recently passed away in no pain and very comfortable when we were with her on that day. And my grandfather is about to be 97 and he's doing great. And I'm still best friends with him. So it was very appropriate at that time in my life to be focused on geriatric vestibular problems. But then what happened was I actually, um, I lost my job. I actually had to go out on short-term disability 
um, I think it was somewhere around 2010. And it was because of vestibular related health issues. But I didn't even know at the time I was a vestibular patient because nobody had diagnosed me with that. And I was seeing, you know, all these different healthcare providers, different types of neurologists and you know, to try to get my symptoms treated, which were primarily um, very severe migraines with dizzy spells and also panic attacks. And it's all related to vestibular issues and stress related also. And um, so I went from one healthcare provider to the next. Nobody really helped me. But while I was on disability, I took a course. Um, it was the first offering of the uh, neuro section of the APTA, the clinical uh, specialist group, neurological specialists. And they offered the first ever advanced vestibular rehab course here in San Diego. And I took it and there was a case study that was exactly my story. And it was like a type A, overworking, overachieving, high stress type personality with severe migraines, you know, vomiting, dizzy episodes, panic attacks, neck pain, headaches. And it was a vestibular case study and I couldn't believe it. And I finally had an aha moment and I realized not only are these geriatric patients I've been working with for years undiagnosed vestibular patients, but I myself am an undiagnosed vestibular patient. And it was at that time that I took all the thousands of dollars of medications that I had been repeatedly purchasing from pharmacies and I threw them all away. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to do something different. And I went down a path of trying to figure out how to rehabilitate myself my, um, you know, my, my anxiety, my stress, my neck, my headaches, my vestibular issues. And from there I've created the bell method and it's really an integrated approach to rescuing mismanaged patients, mismanaged and misunderstood dizzy patients of all ages. And, uh, basically I've been doing this now, uh, I've started my private practice in, in 2014 and I won't even take a patient now unless they are dizzy or they have vertigo or they have chronic falls or complaints of imbalance. So like a couple of weeks ago, a gentleman called me and said he had back surgery and he heard I was a great physical therapist and he wanted to see me. And I referred him to one of my colleagues and I said, I'm really sorry. I only take, I said, are you dizzy? And he said, no. I said, well, then I'm not going to take you because this is, this is my focus and this is my mission. And I only take dizzy people. And now you know, I've realized, uh, the need for, for an advocate to speak out on these issues. That's amazing. I think that's a great story. And a couple takeaways there is that you can niche almost anything into a business, you know, Mm -hmm. who would have thought just treating vestibular patients, that would be a successful cash-based practice, but you found a population that wasn't being treated to the best extent and you found that niche and you created it your own and now you have a thriving cash-based practice. So I think that's, I think that's a great takeaway. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you created the cash-based vestibular practice and some of the challenges and accomplishments you've had with that? Sure. So I actually, this is so funny because I just did a guest lecture at San Diego State University in their doctorate of physical therapy program like last month. And I was there to talk about vestibular case studies in the neuro class, but the students found out that I had a cash-based practice. And so they started asking me all these questions about it. We kind of went off on a tangent and then finally came back to the case studies. But um, I've realized that this is a real interest of a lot of the younger generation of physical therapists. And I think it's really, you 
you know, for me, it's really the way to go. You know, the reason why is because if you don't go into cash-based physical therapy, you're essentially signing up for a life of indentured servitude to insurance companies. And instead of chasing the most effective clinical practices and focusing on what the evidence says about what you're treating and what the research is showing you should be doing to advance yourself as a clinician, you're going to be chasing the Medicare requirements, what the billing codes are, what G code you have to apply, what the new rules are for coding and reimbursement. And it's it's unbelievable. I mean, even though I don't um, take Medicare or any other insurance, I still keep up with the changes. And I went, um, I sat on in on a webinar this year about the changes to Medicare that affect physical therapy. And I was absolutely blown away about, you know, the way that, uh, you know, all the things that are changing constantly that physical therapists are trying to chase after a moving target. And what happens is that, you know, clinicians spend so much time just trying to get paid or they stay up all night trying to fill out paperwork so they can get paid, you know, or their employers on them about their paperwork so they can get paid. I mean, when I was doing home health full time, I actually got carpal tunnel because of all the handwriting that I had to do to fill out my paperwork. And then I switched to a laptop type to do documentation when we got electronic medical records. And then I got carpal tunnel in both wrists. So it's like, you know, it was just, it was unbelievable. So, you know, as a cash-based provider, one of the benefits is that I just do a soap note and I don't have to chase after all this coding and try to figure out how I'm going to get paid or who needs to know what. And, you know, I'm still responsible to complete documentation according to my state practice act. So that's really important uh, for physical therapists that are thinking about uh, starting a cash-based practices to realize you might be out from under the thumb of an insurance company in terms of documentation requirements, but you still have to abide by your current uh, state practice act as far as what is required for reasonable documentation. And then also I refer to the APTA's um, clinical guidelines for what's called defensible documentation. So, you know, that's an important thing, even if you're taking cash to make sure your records are accurate and complete um, you know, like with a discharge summary for all your patients and, you know, things like that. And that's what I use and refer to, um, in case for any reason, my medical records were ever, you know, requested by, by, a um, you know, like I had one patient come down from Canada to see me for vertigo and she was applying for long-term disability. So her disability company asked me to send them a report. Now I charged, I charged them an arm and a leg to type up their report, but they, they, they did request it. So I had to send them, uh, you know, a summary of all the medical records and it was good that I had, you know, an extensive chart on her. So, you know, charting is still, is still required and it's still important for legal reasons, but you can create your own charting system. Like I just use a soap note and I'm on paper. So I don't have that laptop barrier between me and my patient. And I'm making eye contact with them the whole time I'm working with them, jotting my notes down on a clipboard, like old fashioned, you know? Um, so I'd say that's, you know, one thing to consider when you're doing a cash-based practice, um, is making sure you know what the rules are for documentation for yourself. And, um, and then, you know, what happened with me was I, I just, I talked to some of my friends that owned physical therapy practices. And I already knew from being in a director's position within a home health agency that the, the, the margin for profit for home health is just astronomical, or at least it was at the time when I was in leadership within home health, which was a few years ago now. But, 
you know, the requirements of running a home health agency are really difficult. I do have a friend who started a Medicare certified home health agency, but you know, you have to hire nursing, you have to hire social work, you have to hire OT and speech and have all these other services. And it's just, it's a lot of work. And, um, I didn't want to take on that responsibility of being a Medicare certified home health provider. So then I looked at, um, Plus to do that, you have to buy a a license to run a home health agency, which sometimes they're hard to come by. Like in my area, they're hard to find. So then I looked into billing under Medicare Part B. And what I found in talking to my friends that have Medicare Part B practices was the profit margin just is not there. And, um, you know, they were all struggling to make it. They were all, you know, having therapists complaining that their pay was too low they're dealing with um, denials and having to resubmit claims and all this other stuff and and the therapy cap. And I just thought, you know what? I don't want to have to get a physician to sign my plan of care within 30 days. And so initially I started a cash-based practice, but I was turning down all Medicare patients. And then I had and I do house calls. So I make house calls all over San Diego County for people that are dizzy or have vertigo or balance problems or falls. And I was turning down everyone over 65 because I didn't want to get involved with, um, you know, the Medicare requirements and everything. But then I came upon, um, Jared Carter's podcast. I don't know. Are you familiar with his work in cash-based PT? Uh, yes, I am. And same with Aaron LeBauer as well. Yes. Yeah. And I've, I've met Aaron as well. I took one of his courses actually. And so I, I started following Jared Carter's blog and I bought his book when, uh, you know, it came out on cash-based physical therapy. And I contacted him and I was like, you know, what do I need to have in place to take these patients? And so he connected me with his, uh, with an attorney he recommends who I just spoke to today, actually about something unrelated to this. And she's a PT that's also an attorney and she has a practice management, um, firm that helps physical therapists across the country with legal issues. And so I signed up to be part of her practice management, uh, firm. And she, basically sold me a contract that I can use now for anyone over 65 to sign to say they want to exercise their right to use their money where they want to use it. They're choosing to hire me privately and none of us are going to submit any claims or receipts to Medicare. And basically uh, that contract is a private payment agreement between us that allows me to now work with people of any age. So it's been, it's been a, quite a journey, you know, learning about all this, But, you know, one thing that's happened is when I first started my um, practice, I was charging about 150 for an evaluation because that's, you know, I got paid as a home health therapist around $100 for an evaluation. So I thought, well, 150, that's good. But I was spending hours with these people because evaluating dizziness is really complicated and they want to talk to me on the phone beforehand. They want to talk to me on the phone afterwards because they often need emotional support as well. And I was feeling really overextended because I was charging 150, but spending a lot of time. And so finally, you know, over the last four years, I've worked on raising my price and raising my price. And, you know, finally now four years later, I've arrived at 595 as my fee for my initial consultation And in order to be more accessible to more people, I've hired a physical therapist that works for me and she charges $450 for her consultation initially. So we, you know, basically I've made my fee now match the level of service that I'm providing. I also have a lower price point for for people. And then I have a network of local physical therapists who I know who 
treat vestibular problems and take insurance that I can refer people to if they call me and say, you know what, I really need to use my insurance. I just can't afford this. But then the downside is they don't get the customer service of having someone talk to them for half an hour before the appointment, having the service provided in the comfort of their own home for up to two or three hours, and then having a follow-up customer service phone call of up to half an hour. So, you know, people with insurance can still get helped through what I'm doing. I have a lot of free information on my website, like a blog and videos, and I try to help everybody the best I can. But, you know, there are people that value high quality healthcare and that are willing to pay for it and that have the resources to pay for it. And at this point, you know, that's my target customer. So that's kind of what I've done. And, and it's, it's really taken off, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, the last two months I've been at my maximum capacity and my PT that works for me has been at her maximum capacity that we're taking as many patients as we can. And I'm actually just looking into, should I hire another person now? So that's kind of how things are going. It's fantastic. Well, that's great. I think that it's awesome to hear your story because a lot of people are wondering, will people pay more for PT? You know, Mm -hmm. we're different than doctors. We're different than some other professions. And I think we're trained not to feel like we're worth as much as we should be worth. I agree. And so I think you telling everyone that your practice is booked and you're charging yep. $400, $500 mm-hmm. and people are coming to you and you're being booked. I think that's amazing inspiration for everyone to know that, yes, you can charge these prices, but you have to hear what Kimberly's saying that in order to charge these prices, though, you have to give massive, massive impact and outcome and change and customer service and quality care. That's right. And that's exactly right. And that's what I was talking to this patient I was seeing this week. I said, look, you're paying cash for this. It's all about results, you know? And it's like, if you're going to be a cash-based successful practice owner, you've got to show your patients you care about them by make, you know, going above and beyond to like this one gentleman, I've called him like four times now to follow up. Granted, they're all five minute long phone calls, but he's still having a tough time emotionally. But once this is all said and done, he's going to recommend me to all his friends, you know? So it's all about customer service. It's all about getting the outcomes and educating people in a way that they understand. Like one of the biggest reasons people get upset when they go to the doctor or to any other healthcare provider unfortunately, including physical therapists, is because they leave and they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand what they've been diagnosed with. They don't understand what the treatment plan is. They don't feel empowered to um, to advocate for themselves. And so I spend a lot of time educating people. And I'll be honest with you, I repeat myself a lot. You know, I'm saying the same thing to people over and over, but I've found what works and what people respond to. And I've had more patients break down crying while I'm on the phone with them or at their house saying, this is how healthcare should be. I don't feel like anyone cares about me, you know, and people are willing to pay for that. Now, you know, I do, just to let you know, I do have, you know, a pro bono caseload always going at all times. And that's how I kind of, you know, in my heart feel I make things right, that I can't take everybody. But when I get those calls from people that are like, hey, I'm a student, you know, I got hit in the head at a soccer game. I have dizziness. I can't work. I can't go to school. I have no money. Can you help me? I do take on those cases if I'm able to. And I do, you know, on a case by case basis, decide who I can take on at that time based on my capacity. And I usually have at least one pro bono case at all times. 
Um, and I also see people like in my neighborhood from my church or whatever, and I might give them, you know, a, a free consultation just to, um, you know, kind of balance that out, you know, that I'm not just in this for the money. I'm in this to help people, but at the same time I have to help myself. And if I'm going to deliver this level of care, then I have to get paid, you know, a good rate to make it worth my time. Um, one of the students that I, I taught at San Diego state recently came up to me after the class. And she said, you know, I just feel like I want to have more of a heart for people. And maybe could you, could you make your business more on like a sliding scale, like a sliding scale where you, um, target your fees based on people's income level. And I said, you know, I think that's really a great idea, but my bills are not on a sliding scale. And, you know, I said, and honestly, what I found is a lot of people have money. They just don't want to spend it on physical therapy. So that's where I think we need to get out there and do the PR to make sure people know we're valuable and we're worth it because people will spend money on getting a massage, working with a personal trainer. Maybe even now there's a big trend towards functional medicine or going to see a naturopath people will pay money for that. You know, people will say, Oh, I can't see you next week because I'm going to a a concert at Red Rocks in Colorado, you know, so that they have the money, but they just don't want to pay it for physical therapy because some people feel like all physical therapy should be covered by insurance. And I do still deal with that obstacle. I mean, I'll be honest. I have people call me that still get mad at me sometimes when they find out I don't take insurance but they're not my target customer. So I just refer them to someone that takes insurance and I move on and I don't, I no longer worry about it. And, you know, at the same time, one thing that's important to realize is your referral sources are going to shift. So when I was working in home health and I've done outpatient PT in the past as well, but primarily home health has been the bulk of my career and, and teaching at universities. Um, when I was doing home health, all my referrals were coming from physicians. Now that was just to make sure they got covered by insurance, but I'll be honest with you, you know, they were rarely, if ever accurately diagnosed as far as their gait and balance disorders go, you know, they would come to us with, you know, congestive heart failure or, you know, kidney disease or post total hip or something. And so the medical and surgical diagnoses of course would be accurate, but almost never did I see a physician assign an accurate diagnosis as far as dizziness, vertigo, gait, or balance, unless they were a specialist of some sort. So it was still always up to us to do our own exam and assume and and figure out why the patient was having these problems. So I'm still functioning that way, doing a root cause evaluation of dizziness, vertigo, gait, and balance, but I'm just doing it now primarily without physician referrals. So I'm functioning now uh, in the state of California under direct access. And I'd say 99% of all my patients come to me through direct access. So I have invested money in uh, search engine optimization for my website so that when people Google certain keywords related to my specialty, I come up on page one. I've Uh, you know, I got a Yelp page going, I have a Facebook business page and a Google, kind of like a Google maps business page. So I have all those going that people can find me online. And I'd say the majority of my patients do some kind of internet search, find my website, and that's how they call me. Um, I do get a lot of word of mouth referrals, but it's interesting that those referrals come from 
other practitioners that take cash. So like I get a lot of referrals from chiropractors, from acupuncturists, massage therapists, fitness professionals, you know, other people that take cash because there's a certain mentality of someone that's willing to pay cash for a service versus someone that feels entitled to use their insurance for a service. And so as I shifted into this cash-based world, I've found a lot of the patients that would normally come as a referral from a physician are the ones that want to use their insurance to pay for their physical therapy. And so less and less, am I getting those referrals more and more? Am I getting the people that want to, you know, search online, find things for themselves or go to other cash-based providers and get a word of mouth referral to me. So that's kind of how my referral sources have shifted as well um, with switching to cash-based physical therapy. Now, I'll tell you, I'm still friends with all those physicians and I still send them, you know, birthday cards and holiday cards and talk to them. And they tell me, I want to refer people to you, but everybody wants to use their insurance, you know, and it's rare that they get someone that comes through that's willing to pay cash, um, for physical therapy. So less and less do I get physician referrals at this point. Okay. Well, uh, two things. Um, I'm really interested to hear your perspective on this. So as I was listening to you, I was thinking that have you noticed that when people pay cash, they are more focused on actually doing their home exercise program, actually doing what they're told and actually finding results. Oh yeah. People with insurance. Oh yeah. 100%. 100%. I mean, yeah, you'll get an outlier here and there who, um, you know, they just, they get better so quickly that they forget about doing any exercises and they just go back to their normal routine because they're feeling better. So they're not going to do anything I say. And at that point I say, well, maybe you don't need any exercises. Just get back to your normal fitness routine because one of the problems of chronic uh, people with chronic dizziness and vertigo or vestibular patients is that um, they tend to get out of shape. They tend to lose their cardiovascular endurance and their muscle strength because they can't exercise because of the dizziness and vertigo. So my big thing, once I discharge someone, when they've gotten the results they want is I say, just get back to your normal workout routine. And, and so, you know, some patients I do leave with long-term home exercise programs. Most of them, it's more about fitness and strength and dealing with normal aging, um, and like, you know, flexibility and balance and things like that, general fitness. But, um, the ones that do have exercises to do, you better believe they're doing them because they buy into my program because they have chosen and taken the initiative to track me down, to find me. They're paying out of pocket and they want results. So you better believe they do their exercises. It's completely amazing. And I mean, they call, they contact me with questions about their exercises. You know, if I see them at another visit, it's clear they've been doing them. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll say before this, when I was doing, you know, home health or outpatient PT, I felt like I had to be a salesperson and like sell the exercise program to the patient and try to like talk them into it. And now it's like, they want to know what do they need to do because they're buying into getting better and they have confidence in me that I can deliver the results because they've heard that from other people. They've seen my online reviews and, um, you know, basically that's why they decided to hire me. No, that that's great. I thought that same thing when I was listening to you. I was like, I bet, because it's the same thing with online courses, with anything you do. If you are actually paying into it, you're actually going to show up and actually mm-hmm. do what you're told. And I think that's the biggest frustration for a lot of PTs is that we're not like other professions where I give you a pill and you get better. 
I mm-hmm. get a massage. You get to lay there. I do the work and you get better with people right. who actually have to do the work. And so I think the cash-based for people who are frustrated and tired of putting their heart and soul into treating people and really not having those people respond back, cash-based could be an opportunity for them. Absolutely. Patients that want to get better and are driven better. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. I mean, I remember when I started my career and I worked in acute care, I worked at the shock trauma center at university of Maryland hospital in Baltimore. And I mean, I had patients just flat out refuse therapy altogether. You know, like, I don't want to see you today. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to practice walking, you know, and, and that never happens. I mean, if someone's booked to see me, they're ready to go. You know, they're calling me if I'm five minutes late getting to their house, you know? <laughs> um, a couple more things for you. Um, I, I noticed that you said that you were connecting with massage therapists and chiropractors and physicians. Can you let us know some of your secrets to building like a network of other professionals so that you all are sort of re- referring to each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a couple things. Number one, the best way to build re- referring relationships with people is to refer to them. So, you know, people like reciprocal referral relationships. So, you know, one of the things I've done is I've sought out in my community, some of the most uh, high quality professionals that are practicing at the level that I'm practicing. And I've reached out to them and met with them at their office or met with them for lunch. And I'm not talking about bringing in lunch to them. I'm talking about meeting them as a peer, you know, saying, Hey, can we meet for coffee? Can we meet for lunch? Not I'm coming to market to you, but I'm coming to meet you as a, as a peer to see if we can have a referring relationship because I like what you're saying you do. And, you know, I want to tell you what I'm doing so we can start referring to each other. And so I've had you know, a number of relationships just develop from, you know, uh, patients telling me that they saw a certain provider that was really good, that they love and they swear by. And if multiple patients tell me about the same provider, then I reach out to that person and I'll, I'll, um, send them a letter or contact them through email and say, Hey, I've seen a number of your patients. I understand you're doing a great job. I'd love to talk to you about what I'm doing so we can start referring to each other. And so then, you know, if I start referring to them, you know, that kind of opens the door also for them to refer to me. So that's really important to keep in mind is it's not just a one-way relationship. And then, um, you know, I've been involved in my local community-based organization of the San Diego Fall Prevention Task Force. So that's something that I'm really interested in. And, and, you know, a cash-based provider could find a grassroots organization for whatever they specialize in. So, you know, maybe if you're treating, you know, breast cancer survivors, you find a cancer support group. Or, you know, if you're doing Parkinson's, you go to a Parkinson's support group. You can find grassroots organizations in your community for whatever your niche practice is. Or, you know, maybe you're doing sports concussions. You get involved in the local sporting community. So it's that's what I've done is I've been a face at those meetings now for 10, 10 years, over 10 years. So the people in my community, when they think of fall prevention, they think of me because I'm always at the meetings. I'm always going out and doing public speaking. I've, you know, been on TV a few times locally with fall prevention type of talks. And so, you know, my grassroots networking 
has been, and that's been a volunteer basis, you know, which unfortunately is what marketing is. <laughs> so marketing is volunteering basically. And so if we can do it in a way that like, I feel good when I go out to these community meetings, cause I know even if only one older adult or one healthcare provider got the information they needed from my time today, you know what, that was worth my effort to help them. And I got my reputation established. I got my name out there. Um, And so, you know, that's what I've done is build grassroots relationships as a local community volunteer in the world of fall prevention. I've gotten involved with my area agency on aging um, and, you know, done a lot of projects with them, developing uh, handouts and videos and things like that to promote locally. Um, in fact, they even gave me an award. <laughs> they gave me an award in 2011. They named me the public health champion of San Diego. So I got to go down to the San Diego County chambers and it was a real fancy ceremony. Um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately I had a migraine that day. So I had my family, my mom flew in from the East coast. My, one of the doctors, my top referral source physician was there. Uh, a bunch of my friends were there and I ended up throwing up as soon as I got the award, I ran to the bathroom and threw up and I was having terrible vertigo because I was having a migraine and I had to go straight home and I missed my party. So mm-hmm. one of my, f- one of my friends actually had a party for me after the ceremony and they had a cake and, you know, food. And there was like 20 or 30 people there to celebrate the award. And I missed the party because I had such a bad migraine. So it just goes to show you, you know, lifelong vestibular patient, you know, and it's like, uh, those, those high stress or high intensity events, even if they're exciting can trigger vestibular symptoms. And that's what I teach, teach my patients, you know? So yeah, it was really funny. So, so those are some strategies I would say, um, you know, one of the big things I do is just follow up with people too. You know, um, like if I meet someone and I get their card within a week, I'll send them a quick email and just say, Hey, nice to meet you. I've saved your information. And I have kind of like a list of my professional contacts in my community. It's probably about 75 people. And I make sure to what I call like touch base with them somehow with each, like every three to six months, which means I either send them a card, a birthday card. I, I send them an email. I'll shoot them a text. I'll say like, Oh, Hey, I was thinking about you. Cause I was driving by your office. How's it going? You know, and just kind of keep the relationship alive you know, and, um, that keeps me in the forefront of people's minds. And I've had physicians tell me that they're like, you know, if you don't stop by or I don't hear from you, or, you know, you don't send me an email, I forget all about you, you know? So, so it's important to have a strategy to cultivate new relationships, but not to forget the old relationships. And I mean, people I've known for years that have never sent me a referral, all of a sudden out of the woodwork, I'll get two or three referrals from them, you know? So it's all about, um, Number one, making sure you're excellent so that people feel confident referring to you and they know if they send you a referral, it's going to make them look good. That's number one. Um, you know, I've worked really hard to build my reputation in this community and, um, Unfortunately, that also included cutting ties with people that I found out were doing unethical business practices at certain points and just making sure that my network is always uh, people that are running clean businesses that are ethical, that are well-respected and, you know, keeping my... Um, myself, my reputation clean and stellar in my area, making sure with every single patient, I do a good job. I give them my best. And then I thought a lot about... um, 
having an automated system of emailing people and asking them to give me an online review once I discharge them. And honestly, that would be easier. But what I feel is when I get those emails, I'm so annoyed. I'm like, I don't want to give you a Yelp review. You don't even care about me. You just, you send this to everybody. So I never really respond when I get an automated email from a business asking me to do a Yelp review. So what I've started to do is when I'm talking to my patient, either on the phone, usually it's on the phone or email or text following up with them, I'll say, um, they'll, they'll be telling me, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I found you. This is amazing. I'd had vertigo for years. I've seen all these doctors and you're the first person to help me. And now I know what to do and I'm cured and this and that. And they're going on and on and on. And they're so happy that's the point at which I'll say, you know what? I'm so glad to hear this. And there are other people out there just like you who are lost and people really value online reviews for purchasing decisions these days. So would you be willing to take the time to write me a review? It might help somebody else. And they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and then I'll immediately send them the link. And then I'd say probably about half of them do it at that point. So that's, you know, that's, um, Another strategy that I've used to kind of build my network is getting patients to write reviews and asking for the review, not being afraid to ask for it, which I used to shy away from. And then I have a system too, where I I got these little um, note cards from Vistaprint with my logo on them and my photo on the back. And it says, thank you for your trust on the back. And I write I keep a track of all my patients that I discharge. And once a month, I just sit down at a coffee shop and I handwrite them all a note because I know that vertigo has about a 35% rate of recurrence if it's from the most common inner ear condition that I specialize in treating. So about one out of three of my patients are going to get a recurrence at some point. So I handwrite everybody a note just saying like, it's been a pleasure to work with you. Um, I'm glad that you're doing so much better now. I'm here for you. If you ever need me again, don't hesitate to call. And I put my business card in there just in case they've lost it since I left them. So everybody gets a handwritten and mailed follow-up note from me within like four to six weeks of discharge. And that's something that, you know, I don't think busy practices are doing, you know, but it's something that just kind of makes them remember me. And I've had a handful of people once they've gotten that card that have called me back and been like, Oh, you know what? My symptoms are still not gone all the way. Can I do one more visit or something? And so I do get follow-up visits from that. And then I get, um, I ask people to refer me to their family and friends and that works really well. So it's, it's about, you know, part of it is about having the confidence to know that, um, you can ask people to write you reviews and you can ask people for referrals. And if they're really happy with what you've done, they're, they're happy to do it for you because they want to spread the word about what you're doing. Awesome. Ooh, I'm feeling on fire right now. That was, <laughs> that was just a streak of amazing tips and information and so much in-depth detail. So thank you so much for that. And I want to point out something is that in this world where we are very impersonal, you know, Facebook, text, emails, there's not a lot of person-to-person contact. You going above and beyond and giving them a little note and giving them the, that little extra personal touch is going to mm-hmm. make you stand out amongst the rest of the providers. So I think that's a great plan. It really does. In fact, when I take my stack of like, you know, 20, 25, 30, however many cards, and I drop them in at the post office into the little blue, uh, you know, box to put the letters. And I, then I, I'm like, man, who else is doing this? You know, 
Like who else is doing this? They're not because they're so busy trying to meet their productivity standards and fill out all the insurance paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Quality, quality and outcomes are key. If you provide amazing outcomes and amazing customer service and you're providing a personal touch, you're going to be the first person in everyone's mind. That's right. Do you have any systems, any, anything that you can automate, any tools or technology that you recommend to someone who's interested in starting either a cash-based practice or just a business in general? Yeah, I do. And I've kind of, I started off, to be honest with you, doing everything myself because I was trying to save money and I, I built my own website. I used a WordPress uh, template initially, and I think that's a good place to start. Um, and I, you know, was doing a newsletter myself manually. I was doing everything myself, posting on social media myself and, you know, um, all this stuff. And to be honest with you, I realized that, um, it was too much and I wasn't good at it. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a web designer, you know, I'm not a online marketing expert and there are people out there that are trained in these things. So after I went along far enough and I realized like, I can't do everything myself, So I went through this, um, there's this list of priorities that one of my old bosses gave me about how to decide what to delegate. And the three questions are, you know, does this absolutely need to get done? Yes. Uh, Is it imperative that I do this myself? No. And do I get any enjoyment out of this? No. Well, then I'm going to give it to somebody else. And so, you know, now I have a team of really talented, I mean, exceptionally talented contractors that I use. So um, I have a graphic designer because I was doing all my own flyers. I got a graphic designer. I got a professional WordPress website developer who's done a fantastic job. Um, I have a business coach that helps me with like incorporation and, you know, business decisions. I have a, an attorney. I have actually two different attorneys, one for trademarking, uh, my, my, uh, intellectual property. And then one that's an on-call attorney for any malpractice issues that might come up. So I have, I have a whole team of assets, I would say. And then in terms of technology, like the actual systems that, um, so that, so that system to answer your question is delegation, right? That I don't have to do everything myself. And I have a, an administrative assistant that is always on Facebook. So she does all my social media posts and um, helps me with my newsletter and things like that. And then in terms of the technological aspect of that, WordPress is one of them. Um, I use the newsletter service called Active Campaign. I really, I really like them. And I actually have their premium plan, which is more expensive, but it allows me to get on the phone with a coach from their uh, service at any time and get him to help me with my campaigns and my strategies and stuff. So I don't want to spend a lot of time reading all their, you know, uh, information on their website about how to use their service or watching self-help videos. So, you know, to me to have a coach to figure out how to use my online marketing service was awesome. I'm willing to pay for that. Um, and that frees me up to see more patients, you know, instead of struggling to figure out how to use these technologies. And then, um, I use Hootsuite uh, for social media, which allows you to to make a post that goes to multiple social media platforms. So I use the free version of Hootsuite, which um, posts on Google+, uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn for me with one post that we make. And then we have a separate Instagram account that we just launched. And that I didn't want to pay for Hootsuite, so we have that 
my social media person uh, posts on Instagram separately, but she's on that stuff all the time. So it's for her, it's not a big deal. Um, and then I use, I've looked into different credit card systems and I've used a few different credit card, um, uh, bank systems. And the one I've come to for me that works well is PayPal. Um, I've used like Intuit. I used Square. I've used a few different ones and I think they all have pros and cons. I used MindBody even for a little bit. They all have pros and cons. They all charge slightly different fees and have different fees associated with them. But for me, what I needed was... um, something I could integrate with my website. Cause I sell, um, online courses through my website. Uh, I have developed innovative exercise programs for foot neuropathy and for bladder leakage, which interestingly enough can both cause dizziness. Um, and so I have exercise programs on my website that the general public can purchase, which are videos and handouts. And I needed, so I needed a payment portal that could integrate with my website and take online payments. And then also that I could take a credit card in person. So I have a chip reader through PayPal that I take to the patient's house to take their card payment. And then also if I have a patient that my PT that works for me is seeing, but she's had some technical difficulties, like sometimes her chip reader is not working or something, I can send the patient an invoice through email. So that's why I like PayPal because they have all those three different functions, invoicing, taking online payments through a website, and then also taking a payment in person with a physical credit card. And, um, that's why I've settled on that as far as my credit card technology. Um, and let me think, what other technology do I use? Um, you know, I have an iPad an iPhone and, um, uh, iMac desktop. So I use the Apple in the Apple, the iCloud as like an integrated system to sync my calendar. My, I have, over 6,000 notes. And I can tell you the majority of them are all related to my business on my iCloud. Um, and I, so I use the iPad when I go out to community meetings so I can take notes and it's got a Wi-Fi connection through my Verizon plan. It syncs automatically with my phone and with my computer. So I've decided to just go for it and go in with Apple and make that streamlines my technology so that I'm not constantly trying to sync you know, my phone with my computer and and not having a live internet connection when I'm out in the community and stuff like that. So that's another um, example of technology that I use. Do you use a scheduling software like Calendly or Acuity? Just... I did. um, I did have that for a little while, but, um, you know, my... Basically, because of HIPAA and all that's required with that, the services that are HIPAA compliant for booking patients, I just found that I didn't want to have to pay the fees associated with that. So I did have it for a while, but people weren't using it because they wanted to talk to me on the phone before they made such a large purchase. And so I still had the majority of people booking by phone and I just decided to cancel it so that I didn't have to incur the monthly fee. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Now, Uh, You mentioned your team, and thank you so much for going in such detail. How do you find these people? Because I think that's it. It's like everyone knows, yes, I need a lawyer or I need someone to help me with my business and the legal side and the money side. But how Mm -hmm. do I find someone that can help someone in rehab? Mm -hmm. Well, 
I pray. <laughs> I pray a lot, you know, I'm like, God, send me the right person for this job, you know? And so, you know, that helps sort of supernatural assistance. Never, never turn that away. But, um, so I think a lot of them honestly are answers to my prayers. Cause I will pray days and days in a row and then just the right person appears. Um, I also just kind of, put the word out. So I'll listen, like, for example, um, I'll just listen or, you know what I do a lot. And this kind of drives my husband crazy is when I see somebody that has something that I really admire, I ask them a lot about it. And I even ask them maybe to mentor me to achieve what they have. So I have probably like 20 different mentors in different areas of my life. And I'm always telling my husband like, Oh, this person's mentoring me. He's like another person mentoring you. And I'm like, yes, because I admire what they're doing and I want to know. And it's funny how people will, if you tell them you like what they're doing and you admire it and you want to learn, a lot of people are willing to share with you for free because they've worked so hard to get there. They're happy to share with you, you know, like what I'm doing with you right now, you know, and what, what you do when you mentor other physical therapists, it's like, you know, we're happy to share because we've worked so hard and, and we're excited to share it with you. And so, um, you know, a lot of what I do is I, I, um, I rely on mentors and I rely on, um, people that have something I'm looking for. And I ask them, how did you get that? Where did you find that? And a lot of times they're like, Oh, it's this person I worked with. Or, you know, a lot of it is just, uh, getting referrals from people I see that are doing what I want to do and asking them how they, how they've done it. And then just kind of listening to, to what people are saying and following up on leads. So like, for example, I got really behind recently because I got, I got slammed with patients recently. I mean, I was hustling, seeing more patients than I've seen since I ever started my business probably. And my husband was like, I've never seen you work this hard. <laughs> like, this is amazing. You know? And I was just busy running, 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 seeing patients. And I got behind in filing my charts and, you know, some secretarial work that I need to do on the back end. And, you know, so I have a stack of charts on my desk that's like 12 inches high and it needs to be organized and filed and data entry and all this stuff. And I thought, well, how am I going to ever get to this? because I want some time to be creative. You know, I write, I host two different blogs, you know, I'm writing music, I'm recording an album and that all requires space and creativity, you know, for creativity to come. So I was listening and some of my friends were saying like, Oh, my daughter's coming home from college. She's looking for some work. If you, if you know of anybody that needs, you know, somebody to come and work for them, let me know. And I heard like two or three different friends of mine say that. And I started thinking, oh, well, why don't I just hire a college student to come and work for me for the summer and just do all this office stuff and get it all done so that I can pay that person to do the stuff that is piled up on my desk so that I'm still free to see patients and make the revenue. And then I'm still free to do my creative projects. And I'm not bogged down working overtime with these, you know, administrative tasks that, I don't enjoy, but they need to be done, but they don't need to be done by me. And so, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of how I go through the process is like, does this need to be done? Does this have to be done by me? And do I enjoy it at all? And, you know, if the answer to the first one is yes, it has to be done, but it doesn't have to be done by me and I don't enjoy it. Then I try to just look for somebody that I can hire or, um, you know, and, and most of the people that work with me are independent contractors. That's something that's important to know if, especially if you're in California, which I am, and the labor laws in California are just 
always in favor of the employee, which I think is good, but it puts a lot of pressure on employers to make sure you don't hire people as an independent contractor that are really employees. And so I had to do a lot of research into that. Um, And one thing that's important is if the person comes to you with the skill that they already have the skill for what you need, and you're not going to be supervising their work directly, um, they're just going to produce for you a final product or an ongoing service that you don't have to tell them how to do it then you don't have to manage their time, then that's a contractor. But if you're actually telling someone how to do something or you want to have control over the hours they work or what exactly they're doing while they're working for you, then that's an employee. And so, you know, that's something that I've had to figure out too. And so like the PT that works for me, she has to be an employee so that I can supervise her quality of care and I can discuss with her clinically what exactly she's doing. And I can give her my suggestions and my feedback and I can schedule patients for her and tell her where to be and when to be somewhere. And same with the um, administrative assistants that I've hired. I've had two in the past both of them college students. So they've both gone on with their college careers at different times. But then this one that I have just hired this week is also a college student. And since I'm going to be telling her exactly what I want her to do, the hours I want her to work and supervising her work, she's an employee. And so that's something that's important for people to figure out because let me tell you, I didn't learn any of this in school, you know, (laughs) but if, but if it turns out that I hired someone as a contractor and I paid them as a contractor and they were a de facto employee. So really they should have been hired as employee in the state of California. I can face significant fines for that because it, because it looks like you did that to avoid the taxes and insurance and workers comp that you have to pay for employees. So it's like they get you for like basically like tax evasion um, and, and not getting proper insurance. And so it's, it's really intense. You know, that's the thing. I guess the take home is I am never too proud to ask a question or to admit that I don't know something. And that's what I told the students at San Diego State. I said, listen, you guys know physical therapy. And even in that, I have mentors. You know, one of my clinical mentors is the head vestibular researcher at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. I took one of his classes uh, about 10 years ago and I asked him, I went up to him and I was like, I really admire you. I've read all your research. (laughs) Would you mind if I asked you clinical questions from time to time if I get stuck? And he's like, sure. You know, so he's one of my mentors. So I have mentors clinically within our field, but then I, I have a lot of mentors outside of our field that have skills that I don't have. Um, and then either they help me or they recommend people to help me. So I think it's just a matter of kind of not being prideful and recognizing when you're not good at something and uh, researching. And and I'll tell you, I very rarely have hired somebody I've just randomly found without a personal recommendation. Mm -hmm. Most of the people I hire, it's because somebody else told me they were really good or they did the service for someone else. And I got a personal uh, word of mouth recommendation. So that's how I, that's how I do it. And I'm just, I'm just not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid to ask for help. I'm not afraid to admit I don't know something. And I stay focused on what I'm good at, which is the patient care and, you know, hopefully the writing to some degree. Um, But the, you know, the stuff that I don't enjoy or that I'm not good at, I've just asked other people, how do you do this? And followed the leads to get to the, the right place and get the right help I need. 
No, I, there are several takeaways there. Uh, one is that even in entrepreneurship, you can get burnt out. You know, people, oh, yeah. doctors, we're not, we're not the only ones who get burnt out. Entrepreneurs wear so many hats, you know, the technology, the communication, the customer service, actually doing them, the treatments, all of that. It can be overwhelming. So if you want to be successful, you have to surround yourself by a positive team, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a team that is productive and making you more productive and helping you. And that will prevent burnout and it will actually make you more successful. Cause like mm-hmm. what you said, Kimberly, you're the one that's treating, you're the one getting paid $500 an hour. If you're spending an hour on WordPress, you're almost losing $500 an hour there. So- that's right. And I would say, I would say my average reimbursement is somewhere between, uh, 300, 200 and $300 an hour. I would say maybe, maybe 150. If I spend a lot of time with people, just to be clear, it's, it's $600 for my complete intake, but that, that's about two to three hours of my time. Okay. That's sort of like a package. package. Yeah. It's a package and it includes the communication that I realized everybody wants, but I felt overextended in providing until I started wrapping that into the package price. Yeah. I think, I think that's, thank you for that clarification. Um, but yeah, entrepreneurs can get burnt out. And then also in entrepreneurship, there are a lot of legal information and things that are confusing legally and mm-hmm. you want to make sure you're doing it right, especially when you're also combining that with healthcare, which yes. has so many regulations. And that's why you have several attorneys is, is to make sure that you're doing it properly. So anyone yes. did in cash-based PT or in anything else that they're doing, try to talk with an attorney or talk with someone like what you were saying, that's already doing what you're doing and they can help make sure that you are doing everything legally right because the implications mm-hmm. and the costs could easily outweigh that little bit of time that you needed to talk to an attorney for. So that's exactly right. And the peace of mind, you know, like I've retained this, this attorney, I pay her an annual fee. Uh, her name's Gwen, Gwen Simons. I would highly recommend her to anybody that's starting a practice. And, you know, I pay her an annual fee and I can text her, call her or email her anytime. And she gets right back to me. And it's like just the peace of mind, because part of what we deal with as entrepreneurs is anxiety. And, you know, it's the, it's the entrepreneur anxiety. And I've read a number of articles about it. And I think anxiety is across the board, an issue for all entrepreneurs in all industries, but having that backup, so to speak, having people that have got your back, that you're not just going around asking your mom, like, well, mom, what do you think about this? You're going, you know what? I'm going to an attorney who's going to analyze this. And I'm going to call this attorney as soon as I walk out of this patient's house. And therefore I know exactly what to do. And I'm not going to spin out worrying about it and asking everyone for their opinion. It just, it just cuts out that emotional piece knowing that you have the right players on your team and you're not sitting there worrying or fretting about things you don't understand. Cause I mean, the reality is I didn't learn any of this in PT school. I mean, I didn't learn anything about running a business in PT school. I didn't, I didn't even take the quote unquote geriatrics elective when I was in PT school. I didn't learn anything about vestibular. I think we had one lecture on it and that was just because our neuro professor was a vestibular patient. So she wanted to tell us about it. So everything I'm sharing with you, I've learned after school, you know, in the school of life, basically. Um, And yeah, I I agree completely with what you're saying. Well, I think our time is running short here. So before we go to how people can connect with you, why don't you share just one last overarching advice or anything else you want to share with listeners and potential healthcare entrepreneurs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, what I would say is, 
take care of yourself. You have got to take care of yourself. You know, that's one advantage we have over the people that are working those, you know, 8 a.m. jobs where they have to be at a clinic and they have to work with coworkers that they don't like or bosses that are breathing down their neck that they can't stand and have really limited lunch breaks and stay up all night or work overtime filling out paperwork. Like the advantage we have as entrepreneurs is really quality of life. So, you know, I'm, I have a Pilates uh, studio membership and I go like four Pilates classes a week and they're mostly during business hours, but I make time for that, you know? And, um, like today I went out to lunch with my husband. We both took the lunch and we just went and had an extended lunch. And so, you know, take that, take advantage of the freedom that entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneur, entrepreneurism. What do you, how do you say that? (laughs) Being an entrepreneur, take advantage of the freedom that that gives you to be an entrepreneur and, you know, schedule into your day, time to exercise, time to spend time with your loved ones, time for yourself. Um, like I like to meet some of my friends that own businesses. We'll meet for coffee before we start our day. And they kind of serve as my, my leadership team, so to speak. I'll go there and I'll say, I'm dealing with a customer complaint. This is what the customer said. What do you think I should do? And even though my friends own different types of businesses, like fitness businesses or whatever, you know, we're all dealing with the same problems, you know, in general, business owners all deal with the same problems. So, you know, if you have a friend that also runs a business, you know, have a regular date with them getting coffee or talking on the phone, you know, seek out that emotional support from other business owners. And just the biggest thing is just to take care of yourself because if you don't, you're going to get burned out. And, and I've dealt with that, you know, and, um, it was, it was tough, but I realized I was working too much. And that's when I started really hiring people with skills that would give me some space to do what I'm good at. Um, so I think that's the, that's the big message is take advantage of being an entrepreneur, have fun, exercise, spend time with people you love. And, um, you know, that's why we do it. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. So before we go, share where people can find you and any other resources or links you want them to know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the best thing would be for people just to check out my website. It's betterbalanceinlife.com. And um, from there, you can find, I have a press page that has the TV shows I've done, the news stories I've been part of. I have um, a bio page. I have my services page and my courses and everything. So that's the best place. I have my blog there and um, just check out betterbalanceinlife.com. And you can contact me through that website as well. It has my phone number. You can send me an email through the contact page. And uh, yeah, I just, I just wish everybody, you know, well on their journey. And I, you know, I guess I'll finish up with what I told the students at San Diego state. I said, you know, I'm not sharing this with you to brag or to say that like I'm great or I'm special or anything. I'm sharing this with you to help light a fire underneath you so that you realize you can do this too. So as you're going out in the healthcare world and you see patients that are falling through the cracks and you get good at helping them, realize you can do this too. You just have to hone your skills. You have to figure out what niche you want to claim, be the best at it and go for it because anybody can do it. There, there are so many patients out there that need help and you can do it. Absolutely. I know you can. I did it. It's possible. But, you know, I just encourage everyone to, to just keep going and keep allowing what they see day to day, the things that break your heart in the clinic turn them around and let them light your fire and go, you know what? This is the reason I've got to go on my own and, and do, do a better job for people. 
I love it. Well, Kimberly, you are on fire too. And thank you so much for being here and providing so much amazing in-depth information. I know our listeners are going to love it and they're going to contact you. And I wish you the best in everything because your, your inspiration to treat people amazingly and make a big difference is I can see it and you're going to do great things. And we're going to have you on again to inspire more therapists. Thank you. I would love it. I would love it. Okay. I'll talk to you then. Thank you so much for listening to the Therapists on Fire podcast. You can find the show notes and special offers for this episode and any other episode at debtfreept.com slash podcast. Our goal is to inspire and ignite your passion. So if you have a burning desire to become a non-clinical therapist, entrepreneur, and leader in your industry, then make sure to subscribe and like this podcast to hear more amazing episodes.